everyone, and welcome to the first Aftershock of 2024. We have a full crew here tonight. We've got big news that's been coming out uh, in regards to the San Jose earthquakes. We're going to start off tonight by talking about one of San Jose's more important homegrown players over the last few years, somebody that the Quakes brought in in 2019, uh, Cade Cowell. And we have what is reported a $4 million deal with Cal being transferred to Chivas in Liga MX. Jamin, I'm going to kick it over to you first. Your initial thoughts here. What have you heard so far about this deal? Is this something that's 100% done? Or are we still waiting on the final word here? You know, great question, Phil. So, uh, you know, had, had some conversations with league sources today. Uh, the latest information I have is that, uh, you know, there is a little bit of a slowdown here with Cade and national team camp. It's at the moment unclear if he's going to stay in camp or leave camp. So that's a little bit of a of an influx situation, but they do expect that this deal will be done in the next 48 hours. We'll see. That was just what their projection was. They think like they can get everything across the line and keep in mind that uh, anytime that you're working between leagues with MLS, it's not usually the quakes who are doing all the paperwork. It's actually the league. So at this point, the quakes are <clears throat> mostly done with the things the quakes need to do. It's now like Shiva's needs to do a, a physical and the league needs to sign paperwork and they need to submit things through the FIFA systems and it has to clear his, you know, his ITC certificate and all these things that happen. Those are when people say like it's not done, but it's right there. Those are the types of things they're talking about. Additionally, found out today, really exciting news. In addition to the four million and some incentives, which are still unclear how much on the incentive side a 20% sell-on is what has been negotiated. If that's true, and I believe it is, according to my sources, that's pretty impressive because uh, in my conversations with, with uh, Chris Leach last season, his impression was it was really hard to still get a 20% sell-on like you could do a few years ago at a fairly, fairly frequently. But in, if they actually got that plus the 4 million, you start to understand why this is maybe a better deal than other deals that have come through uh, potentially previously. It at least gives us a better perception as to why this deal is the one that they've chosen to go forward with compared to other things that they got offered because they got, we, we always heard it was more like a 10% sell-on or a 15% sell-on. To get a full 20% sell-on is actually a, a pretty big coup. And I'd like to give the, the other guys a chance to kind of chime in here just on initial thoughts about what this deal means for the organization, what the deal means for Cade. Uh, anybody who follows Liga MX knows that Chivas is one of the more historical teams, well-followed teams in the league, but they haven't been necessarily successful lately, yet it has a lot of meaning. Um, Colin, I'm going to bring you in here because you've kind of been looking at the salary. You've actually updated the salary spreadsheet on quakesepicenter.com, so I know that you have a lot of perspective in that regard. Uh, before we get to the other guys here, Colin, I'm interested in what your thoughts are. Uh, yeah, look, it's a big deal. This is something that the organization has been looking to do for a long time. Now, this has you know, been on their strategic planning uh, for years at this point. And the, the $4 million guaranteed is, to my knowledge, the highest guaranteed fee they've been offered uh, to this point. And so that's a, that's a big get. Uh, the incentives perhaps are a little bit lower than you know, what Bologna was offering, but the sell-on fees is pretty important as well. As Jamin noted, 20 is not easy to get in today's market. I'm actually, Jamin, you can clarify after I'm done here about whether this is a 20% of the total next transfer fee or the profit or the delta between uh, the current fee and the next transfer fee. But regardless, whatever the number is, 
a good portion of that will be something that is taken by the club and go into the owner's pocket, basically, and will be still accounted for as you know part of the club's budget, you know, within the club's uh, working, but it's not actually relevant from a league salary cap perspective. There is a portion that is related to the league salary cap. Uh, Jamin and I have been texting back and forth a little bit about this over recent days. I've been trying to talk to people, sources, uh, about exactly how this works, uh, and I spent probably more time than I'm proud of reading the MLS CBA today, trying to get the details of this. Um, but the general impression we've gotten is that of the 4 million or so in guaranteed dollars, about 1 million of those will translate into general allocation money, which is something that can be used directly, basically to expand the salary cap, either to pay players more money or to pay transfer fees to get players in that would be otherwise hitting the salary cap. Uh, so that million dollars in GAM is a, humongous deal for roster building for the Quakes. Uh, and it's something that other MLS clubs have started to do in large measure. Uh, and that's allowed them to basically have a larger salary cap than the Quakes do. So it's not just that the Quakes have been hamstrung by a lack of willingness to spend. They actually quite literally have had a lower cap on their spending than the teams that have already been aggressive about selling, such as, you know, an FC Dallas or the like. So um, the particulars here on the CBA, uh, it's not very clear on exactly how this works, but because Cade Cowell was a homegrown prospect and part of the U22 program that entitles the club to, you know, more or less all of the transfer proceeds go right back into the club. So that's very helpful for the club's budgeting. For the GAM budgeting, there is a mechanism that shows the net profit of a player uh, and how much you get back in terms of GAM. There is a limitation to it. We think that that limitation, Jamin and I, you know, Jamin's theory is it's about 1.2 million nowadays. I've been talking to some club sources about it. We don't think that will be the total amount in Kate's instance. But the two things to keep in mind that I you know, wasn't necessarily aware of is, first of all, since it's a net transfer fee uh, that you get the GAM back on, Kate Cowell is a homegrown. They didn't pay a transfer fee in the first instance to get him. And that means that the entirety of this selling fee is kind of considered a net fee. Whereas, obviously, if they bought him for $4 million, they sold him for $4 million, none of it would return back to the club in terms of GAM. The other thing that I didn't realize is it's also net of other expenses associated with U22, certain in particular. One of them is any salaries that were paid to Cade above the maximum budget charge. So the maximum budget charge last year was $612,000. He was making $680,000. All the money that is beyond that $612,000, which is you know, something about $70,000, that actually gets deducted from the amount of money that comes off. So that actually that nets out of the fee. There's some other fees and other kinds of expenses as well that get netted out for it. We have therefore reason to believe something on the order of a million dollars in GAM is coming into the club. It's a huge deal for the club. They can use it to trade within the league. They can use it to expand their salary cap, pay out, you know, transfers that would otherwise hit the cap. So that million dollars in GAM is a big thing for the rest of the, uh, for going forward for the Quakes. Excellent. Thanks for providing those details in terms of the salary call. I know that gets a little bit convoluted for a lot of folks. Alex, uh, why don't you chime in next? This is a kid from Ceres. I think it means a lot to a lot of folks here in Northern California, Central Valley and uh, Bay Area folks as well uh, to see somebody like Cade make such a big move over to a historic club. Um, what are you thinking about as the as the club looks to part ways with Cade? First of all, I just want to credit Colin there because we are very, very lucky to have someone on our team who is an expert in the MLS roster rules and regulations and i just love to imagine colin hunched over his computer late at night with you know all darkness just the bright screen in his face trying to figure out what all this means because it's only been you know 48 hours since this news broke but we already have a, a good analysis there 
And it is it is huge news. And, and I'd like to think that uh, kind of the big picture takeaway, if you kind of sum up everything that Colin was saying there, is that this is great news for the San Jose Earthquakes. Uh, it is great news for, for Cade Cowell and, and hopefully great news for Chivas, who are, who are getting a good player with lots of potential. So I, I think this is one that you can uh, kind of summarily chalk up as a, as a win-win-win. Uh, and it's, it's huge for, for this organization because this is uh, you know, one of the first uh, players, the first big player that they've grown in the academy uh, who's been a part of their academy, uh, who's now getting sold for, for big money. Uh, to a, a foreign league. And, and you know, Chivas is one of the largest clubs in Mexico. I think Cade Cowell's kind of celebrity profile is automatically overnight going to going to skyrocket. And I think it'll be a really good challenge for him. I, I think that, uh, you know, he 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 has uh, the skill sets to succeed. And even though he uh, he hasn't necessarily been been putting in uh, the best uh, performances in San Jose over the last year, year and a half, uh, I think a, a, a kind of new challenge and and new team will, will do him wonders. So, so I'm hopeful my fingers are crossed that, that this one will be uh, a, a win-win-win for everyone here. Yeah. It's no secret that Cade has kind of struggled a little bit over the last couple of, you know, season and a half. I think you're about right there, Alex. Uh, he had a goal last season. He had two assists for the Quakes. So he wasn't as productive as the club wanted him to be. And yet we see kind of a bigger number than I think we had anticipated being um, asked for Cade Cow. right? There were times when there was more of a, uh, the, possibility that Kate could perform to the potential that the club was expecting. And I think a lot of folks were thinking that he would go for a lot more. I know today, um, Brandon Vasquez, you know, the, the signing was announced today that he was going to Monterey from FC Cincinnati for $8.5 million. And I think that's kind of more of what a lot of Quakes fans were kind of hoping for something and more so in that range. Um, Robert, we haven't had an opportunity to hear from you yet. Uh, just kind of thinking about Kate's contributions to the team, the potential that uh, that the team has to move forward from this signing, and maybe even a bit of like what you think Kate's going to end up doing once he goes over to Liga MX. Um, you know, what are your thoughts in terms of this player who's meant a lot to a lot of folks here in San Jose and is kind of uh, is going to be kind of signaling what this club and organization and development program can provide for other bigger clubs throughout the world. Yeah, you know, Alex said it, you know, Kate is the first example, the first now, assuming everything gets uh, dotted and crossed as, as necessary, but, you know, eventually he'll become the, the first proven example of a player coming through the Quakes organization that has been able to move on to, I would argue, a bigger club. I mean, Chivas is probably uh, bigger than in the United States than the Earthquakes are in terms of brand re recognition. I see a lot more Chivas stickers on the trucks driving through the valley than anything San Jose related. You know, this is a big club, not just south of the border, but north of the border as well. And he's going to get a lot of attention as, as being a dual national, even. I think that's always a, kind of a fabulous, fabulous kind of subplot to this whole story. You know, Chivas has very traditionally been a team that focuses on Mexican born, Mexican only players. And, you know, you know, Cat, Cal will be one of those exceptions that, uh, you know, the, the, the club has been bringing in to sort of you know, broaden its, its, uh, its reach in terms of a player pool. And, you know, you know, he has an opportunity to make a, a really big splash in that regard. And again, not just improving himself in League MX, but also to show that, you know, those those players here
here in the United States that have those those roots, you know, may uh, may find success in 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 that league. Um, you know, he's a he's a capped U.S. national. You know, many many caps and sitting there in in camp uh, as we speak. You know, so that's I think another interesting storyline to to pay attention to. You know, but uh, you know you can't really um, you can't really fault uh, Cade if he's excited. I hope he's very excited for this opportunity, and I think Quakes fans should be as well. You know, we've been talking a lot over the last year about you know the potential opportunities uh, if there were any and, and how serious they were to to have Cal be transferred to, to be able to 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 collect a transfer fee as as Colin very eloquently pointed out you know the the salary cap implications of selling players is huge because it gives you that extra money beyond the salary cap money that you already have and we're not talking about anything about the owners pockets at all you know this is money that the team gets to spend regardless of how uh, you know the owner feels like spending his own money that's you know that's dps and that's other uh, those are other mechanisms and so now chris leach has you know a nice uh, big pool of gam to work with um i'm very confident that you know that's one of the dominoes that needed to fall so that he could begin making these next signings moving forward. Something I know we're going to talk about as we go through the program tonight, but that is what these next few weeks are really going to involve, you know, how to now take that, uh, that, that new found transfer kitty and leverage that in, into more players. So I'm, I'm very excited for, for Cade. Uh, I know it sends a really good picture throughout the organization. I think uh, throughout the Academy, who knows, maybe uh, Cade's younger brother chance is going to you know, see this now too, as a, as an opportunity forward, you know, someone who's even, you know, training and working, uh, you know, along with the Mexican youth teams. So, you know, big, big plus all around. And, and I, I said it on Twitter. I think uh, kudos has to go to the Quakes for getting this over the line. I think Chris talked a lot about at the end of the season, it was going to be a matter of, you know, when, not just if. And 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 here we are able to, to finally talk about it in, in a positive way. Phil, if I may, actually, I'm gonna I I I am gonna do my thing, which is like the arcane salary details or like financing part of things. But I'm actually gonna bounce this back, uh, right back to you, Robert, because mm -hmm. you're I think to the you know you've been covering the club longer than any of us. Uh, although some of us have been you know going to games even you know back as as children. Uh, to put this in historical perspective, because this is a historic moment for the club. It's a it's a defining moment for the club, and. I, I measured this very specifically because everybody, you know, talks about, you know, team record transfer or whatever. People forget the team record transfer up until this point was Eddie Lewis, who left the club in 2000. In March of 2000, he went from the San Jose Earthquakes, uh, then I think still known as the Clash, or maybe they, I think that they were still the Clash that year. Um, actually, maybe they changed in 2000 uh, to Fulham. That I actually went to the trouble of looking up what inflation adjusted that $2 million would be today just to make sure that this could honestly be called a club record transfer. The answer is $3.7 million in today's <laughs> dollars. So we, we have finally cleared the bar of an inflation adjusted record transfer away from the club. Uh, that, so that's, that is like, yeah, there we go. Well done. I like oh, to think team. that that's what that, that Chris Leach was targeting. That he was holding out for for four million so he could well, pass that threshold. The, the, yeah, the the info that we were getting was that uh, the Bologna offer was below that number. So I, I this did this did put us into the record trend. Now it all days. makes sense, Colin. It, it all, all makes, makes sense, sense now. Um, so th that that is like a, just like a financial fact, but to kind of emphasize the point that this is this is something that is like eclipses something that hasn't happened for 24 years at this club uh, and is very much part of their 
their strategy going forward. They want to be a club that grows and sells excellent young players. So anyway, for me, this has like these big historical implications for the club. We'll be thinking about this as a turning point for a long time. But anyway, that's why, Robert, I want to put back to you. I didn't know if you had any thoughts on that kind of historical context of, you know, where the club was, where it's been and where it's going. I, th I think part of the impatience that maybe even I had personally of late with with the Cade situation, the potential for sales and transfers did come down to that. You know, we, we've been hearing from you know, various folks in the front office when Dave Cavill took over. That was a big kind of, you know, uh, you know, sort of talking point that, you know, where the galaxy were going to spend their way to victories, the earthquakes were going to grow their way to victories. And it, it just seemed like a lot of bluster. And it, it kind of has been a lot of bluster for many years. And, and finally, we're seeing a point where okay a player has made that transition a player has grown to the point where the quakes are able to cash in a considerable amount and and a record amount i appreciate you kind of doing that math and figuring that out you know i remember when uh, we kind of laughingly celebrated transfers like anthony ampai patakawan going to thailand for like 20 or thirty thousand, whatever it was at the day time you know chump change you know that's not that's not a transfer policy that's not a transfer strategy that's uh, a player that they just needed to get rid of and they got some cash for him you know now I think you can find that you're going to see that uh, if this is something that the Quakes can leverage uh, with the local community, with local soccer clubs, you know, to start funneling people in instead of having players maybe look at other avenues to to uh, to move ahead in their professional careers, that's where the real win is going to come. So proof of concept achieved, you know, record transfer fee achieved. I think both of those are going to be milestones. You're right, Colin, that we're going to be looking back at uh, as turning points for the way this organization is goes. And maybe a better way to put that is let's hope we're looking back at this as a turning point for the way the organization operates, because it could be a big, big deal in allowing them to move up the scale of salary uh, capability. Yeah, if I could, if I could just share a few thoughts about. Uh, I was I was on mute. I was on mute there. I was on mute there, and I'm trying to I'm trying to set up Phil, and and uh, and so that didn't work very well. No, Phil, I, I did. I want to I want to hear from you too because I do think like of, of us, we we're all part of the media, you know, these days in a more official capacity. Yeah. And while you've kind of like come over to our side of the fence more recently, you've been that kind of voice of the fan with with a podcast, a fan based podcast. And also, you know, with your Central Valley uh, kind of roots here, can you give some perspective in terms of like, not only what does this mean, you know, probably for Kate and his family, but what does it mean for, you know, the Central Valley region to be able to have this type mm -hmm. of soccer success come out of a region that is so passionate about the game, uh, about, the, about the sport, right? Yeah, I could probably spend a lot of time just talking about that aspect alone. You know, Kate's uh, ethnic identity, I think, is similar to a lot of us who grew up in the Central Valley. I mean, people like the, the fact that Kate doesn't speak Spanish, and yet he's uh, he's Mexican-American, and he qualifies to be a dual national. I mean, like, that's a lot of in the Valley. Um, I'm the same way. You know, my, I do speak Spanish, but I don't speak it very well, or I speak, you know, uh, sort of a Chicano English version of that. And so, um, but I, I did want to talk a little bit about the organization too, because um, I see some stuff about Tommy Thompson in the chat and the organization has really come a long way in like bringing along players, bringing along the expectations for, uh, for the young men who come up through the system and have the potential to do something special overseas and reflect well upon the organization. Cade Cal really is the opportunity for the organization to have the light capacity, which is really exciting. You know, um, so from 
Tommy Thompson being the first homegrown signing, who's actually still on, you know, probably going to talk about that a little bit more on the show, all the way up to Cade Cal and seeing what he has the potential to do. Um, it should be noted that it's not common players to go from a club like Chivas to Europe. I know that's kind of what Cade uh, wants in, in the long term is to play in Europe, but landing in a, with a club like Chivas and having the opportunity to build a career uh, build a story there, I think is incredibly important and in itself. Um, in terms of, of Cade Cal personally, and you know what that means for the Valley and for, for somebody like me, I mean, um, people, you know, it's, it's a very large section of California that is oftentimes uh, left out of the conversation, right? So I think there are folks from Sacramento to Bakersfield who are really rooting for Cal to succeed in the Mexican league. You just don't see that too often. I mean, I feel like you can count on one hand really big professional athletes who made it out of the Valley are, right? The first one that comes to mind is Derek Carr because he's still playing for the, the Saints. Uh, and, and there's few, right? There's, there's few. So um, for Cade to be making this move from Ceres, from San Jose County, which is not far from where I grew up, uh, family has lived before, to playing for a big club in Major League Soccer for the San Jose Earthquakes, to making the jump over to Mexico to one of the storied, clubs in North American soccer history is incredible. And so a small part of me hopes that he does make the leap over to um, to Europe, but him staying and creating the story here in, in Chivas is actually a huge deal too, because the organization had pivot in order to, if, if it goes through, right? This is, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, guys, but it's not a hundred percent, but it's almost a hundred percent. But when this happens, Chivas is going to be pivoting from, I think, one of you guys mentioned before, only signing Mexican national players, guys who are supposed to play to the national with the national team, to guys who have Mexican heritage and perhaps being exclusive to those who have Mexican heritage perhaps play for other national teams like the United States. And so Cal has the opportunity to really open things up, open up opportunities for other young men who are coming up through uh, systems, guys like Brandon Vasquez, who I just mentioned earlier, right? Like he... He is somebody um, who played for the Tijuana system, came up through there, came back over to MLS, played here, probably would not ever have been considered by a club like Chivas. But I think Cal has the opportunity to open some doors. So there's uh, the potential for some like a really big story that comes out of this, uh, depending on how Cal does at Chivas. Oh, the, fan, the fans really were connecting with what you're saying, Phil. There are you know, a number of our fans, you know, that uh, that are part of our aftershock community are themselves Mexican Americans. So I want to bring up some of the comments here, but uh, yeah, obviously, uh, you know, this really uh, connects with uh, with uh, a lot of the fans, and uh, you know, really appreciated, uh, you know, what you're sharing there, Phil, because you know, this is not just a win for the Quakes, but it is a win, really, for soccer in the Bay Area because it is the first time that this type of thing has happened, not just for the Quakes but really for, for the Bay Area, you know, as a whole to be able to do this uh, and, type and of thing. On that note, Jim, and I, I also want to give credit here to Ballistic United because they were the, the club who developed Keikawa before he went to the San Jose Earthquakes, you know, I think through the ages of, of 13 or, or 14 or something like that. And, and that's, you know, what the youth soccer system in the Bay Area looks like. Players typically don't find their way to the, the big professional academies until uh, around that age. So uh, uh, for all those clubs that are that are feeding into the Earthquakes Academy, feeding into other 
MLS academies. This is huge because because you know that's their guy. They have a guy playing at the pinnacle of you know world soccer now, and that's that's huge for I think that that specific youth soccer community in the Bay. Yeah, and our former editor in chief Joel Soria uh, was texting me just a minute ago. Um, you know, he's uh, he's he's very connected, obviously, into Liga Mekis and uh, wants to, to clarify Chivas is one of the top two clubs in terms of its reach and size in uh, in North America. So along with Club Club America, of course, uh, you know, Chivas is is the other uh, kind of uh, Mexican giant that has has that kind of kind of reach. The, the omission of Cruz Azul, surely not intentional. <laughs> I know of at least one person who's watching the show right now that's a big Cruz Azul fan. I would not like for them to be omitted from the conversation as well. So, <laughs> well, um, I will, I'm, we not, I'm not the Liga Mackey's guy, so I'll let, I'll let you guys. <laughs> right, that's a bigger conversation, um, which maybe some other time when we have, you know, hopefully the season goes well. But you know, there's sometimes those exhibition matches and stuff. Maybe we could talk a little bit more about Liga Mackey's and some of we'll the. We'll do a KCAL watch party. We, we, so. we got to gather yeah. and watch his, his debut. I, I think well, that would be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting, by the way, that we? So look, sometimes when a player leaves a club, you know, the fans are neutral. They're just like, all right, fine. It was time for him to leave. Sometimes they're mad because they, you know, you, you wanted to keep him. This is a kind of a unique situation where I think we're all like happy for Cade and we're happy for the club. I think that like this is a you know a happy send off here. Um, so I, I just think that it's kind of a nice thing to to memorialize here that we're all happy for Cade. We're happy for the club. Yeah, and I, I'd be super happy if when the uh, the league's cup draw comes out, the Quakes and Chivas end up in the same group together because then that would be the ultimate homecoming. So yep, you know, I think. It. <laughs> I, I, I think I will only be truly happy when the Quakes have another DP number 10 and, you know, new left winger to fill that spot on their roster. For me, this is where the fun begins. Uh, and, you know, I know it's, it's worth pausing right now and, and giving the Quakes credit for, you know, putting this deal together. I was among those who, you know, was concerned about whether this deal would ever happen after they, you know, rejected two serious pursuits from Reims and from Bologna. Uh, and, you know, I still don't know whether that risk was worth it, you know, rejecting the Bologna offer uh, last summer. I, I don't know whether it was the, the right move to do then, uh, but, you know, at the very least, Chris Leach can, can say it paid off and that his patience uh, was rewarded with a, a deal that looks, you know, at very least a little bit better uh, than the one he had a few months ago. Uh, and certainly I think is, is a more interesting move uh, you know, the, the pipeline to Europe is pretty well established, but I think a lot more eyes will be on Cade Cowell uh, when he's in uh, Chivas because of how large a club it is and, and kind of the, the unique transfer here. So so we want to want to give Chris Beach credit for putting that deal together. And, and you know, now the, the fun part begins of, of being able to go and reinvest that money. Colin talked about all the ways in which that money can go directly back into this roster, expanding the, the funds they have available in the salary cap. And, Boy, do the Quakes have a, a lot of needs in that attack with the DP number 10 and the and the left winger. Maybe a new center back as well. There have been some rumors flying around and, uh, you know, possibly another fullback uh, on the books as well. So so I'm expecting a busy January and a, a busy February for this club. Well, by the way, I know we all wanted to pivot roughly half an hour into the show towards the, the non-Cade elements relatively soon. I, I think that uh, what Alex just said is a nice table setting for uh, for what I wanted to kind of refer to to set that up. Um, 
there's the million dollars in GAM that very directly goes into player salaries and transfer fees technically can be used on non-player expenses, but they'd be insane to do that. Uh, and I, it sounds, I think that we have good reason to believe that they won't. The money that goes beyond the million dollars in GAM, the other 3 million or so associated with the transfer fee actually is very valuable for the club as well. And you should care about as a, as a Quakes fan. Uh, and that is that that money, yes, it goes back to the club directly. It does not get associated with the salary budget. But I can assure you that John Fisher cares about how much money is coming through the club overall. Um, and that money overall is what sets his budget and his appetite for spending. So if he sees $3 million in incoming transfer fees, he's going to be, you know, he probably considers that something that is going to be put back into transfer fees that go off the budget as well. So there's direct playing cost impact. There's an indirect uh, you know, player cost impact as well that I assume will be you know, plugged back right into the club. The other thing that's really important, though, is it, it, the validation of the concept of being able to sell players is going to give John Fisher faith. One of the things that I talked a lot about during the Jesse Fiorinelli and Matias Almeida era is that I thought that one of the reasons John Fisher was unwilling to spend a whole lot of money in the later years of that partnership was that they had not evidence to him that they were going to spend his money well. He didn't want to throw good money after bad. If you can pull off this transaction like Chris Leach just did, he also got a, you know Marcos Lopez out for a fee while his contract was going down. He got Francisco Calvo out for a fee. You know he's shown John Fisher, I will use your, I will buy well with your money, and I will sell well with your money. That's going to increase John Fisher's willingness to spend money. So I think that there is this million dollars that for sure is going to go back into the playing uh, roster of the top, uh, the club because it's associated with GAM. There's these other $3 million and then a, a kind of a willingness to spend, I would imagine, are going to lead to increased spending beyond the roster limits as well. So that's why I think it's such a big deal. If, you know, I, I'm only assuming that that's the way that the he sees about it. That's the way that we've kind of heard it talked about internally. And I think it's the way that we've seen it from the outside. So I think that this could show a pivot point in terms of the spending of the club and kind of start that virtuous cycle of raising players up, selling them, and then reinvesting those proceeds. And, and yeah, thanks I for sharing that unique... context here, uh, Colin. It, Alex, before before we continue, uh, and, and if you could keep it short, if you do have a comment in direct regard to what Colin just said, because you guys are doing something that I think a lot of us want to hear about, which is like the potential signings and kind of what the hypotheticals are. But there are a lot of things for us to talk about in regards to the actual moves that have been done recently that we haven't had a chance to talk about as well. So I'll kick it over to you really quickly, Alex, and then it would be great to talk about the next uh, the next item here on our on our agenda. Well, I was just going to say it's a unique challenge for, for Chris Leach as well, because I, I think, you know, Crystal's comment here is spot on. He, he's been a magician uh, with little cap space. We know, you know, the, the Matthew Hoppy deal that he was able to pull off. You know, he can find some some really good budget deals. We know kind of at the smaller tables he can clean up. Now he's at a, you know, the, in the big leagues with a lot of money and there is, you know, more pressure on him to go out and get some some DPs were going to make this team significantly better. So, so this is kind of the next step, I think, in Chris Leach's tenure as a, a general manager. And it's a, a, you know, a credit that he's got this far. Yeah. So Robert, I'm going to set you up with the, uh, with the next item here, which is in regards to Jack Skane. So you and I sat up in the press box a few times this year and got to see Skane do some pretty magical stuff in the attacking part of the pitch, things that we hadn't seen from some of the other attacking midfielders, uh, not to call anybody out, but it just, uh, in terms of pivoting quickly, 
and making quick choices and making things happen in the attack. So the Earthquakes announced today that his he has a new contract going through uh, 2025 with the option to extend. Um, this is somebody who has four goals and an assist and 36 of his appearances for the club across all competitions. So Robert, kind of your take on uh, this, you know, re-upping Jack Skane, bringing him back into the club, uh, what that means for him and what that means for the organization. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, it didn't get the big Tom Bogart splash or anything like that. I think it was the Jamin Moore splash this time, which is awesome. <laughs> Thanks for breaking that news. That's uh, even scoop, better. Even scoop, better. Scoops over there in the corner. Um, but we know, we know, you know within our group, you know, just how important he he is, how how uh, how effective he can be on the field. Uh, I think the you, know, you kind of touched on it, Phil, that the creativity part of it and, and the kind of the proactive way he plays, I think is perfect for for Lucci's system and that you know a lot of that uh, you know ball control in the centers is meant to funnel the ball into the wings to get things going and that's where jack seems to really do well uh, when he's when he's healthy you know when he's getting his opportunities you know the he very he rarely did did poorly you know so you know the quakes are showing a lot of faith in, in bringing him back i do you know i think he becomes a good roster piece a good a good uh, you know you know potential starter at times uh, but also uh, someone who can push if they get a higher price or a higher experienced player that's in those roles you know jack's right there to kind of push him in training and and really kind of push to to finish to get the minutes on the field so you know it's going to go underrated to outside of anyone who follows san jose closely but you know i i feel that it's one of the the bigger pieces of business they've been able to do so far you know they've made very uh, very few other signings which we'll talk about uh and and there are a lot of holes i would say in what i would project the starting 11 uh, needs to be to be you know kind of in the upper level of the uh, the western conferences year but you know this was a i think an important uh an important bit of business for a player that uh, we saw take advantage of his opportunities and now you know lucci has him for a couple more years to to really uh, take advantage of those prime years that he's entering and jamin you did break this on on twitter earlier or x earlier today um and so you know what was it like getting that news first before before sending it out to the world and um and what are your thoughts about Jack Skane coming back for at least uh, through 2025. There's been two times in the past where I thought I had news first and then I go to the feed and Tom Bogert has broke something. So to actually be Tom, Bro Tom Bogert to anything these days, I feel a sort of sense of accomplishment. No, I, I, I appreciate that, uh, that, um, you know, we had a, had a good source on, on that that was able to, to give us kind of advanced uh, notice. And, and I heard a couple of days ago that the deal was done. And, um, you know, I, I, one of the things that I try not to do is to upend PR. Uh, so you, you want to try to understand like when announcements are coming, you know, almost before you put something out there. But, um, you know, uh, I think kudos to, to Jack for putting himself in a position that it, it was very easy to desire him coming back, like showing, something last year that for some reason he he didn't fully show in years before and and to be clear when it came to a stage like the open cup like jack skin was sometimes the best player on the field he uh he converted two penalties uh when i got to see him you know up up here against the sounders in in that one game uh he had converted a free kick and, and another penalty and other open cup games and uh, you know, he had this ability, you could see it at times, but it's not as obvious as other players like an Aseni Buddha, uh, uh, you know, who who have that kind of just flair. 
And, uh, you know, that's what we get excited about. And we've seen this, a little bit of that also with uh, the, uh, the the first round uh, signing, uh, you know, Ricketts as well. Um, you know, they've got the kind of this flair and this ability. But one of the things that, you know, Skane really has that just surprises everyone is he's got about as much speed as a Cade Cowell and about as much speed as a Benji Kikanovich. He was number three according on the team, according to Second Spectrum in 2022. And I was shocked. I was like, what is he doing here? Like, I thought there was a bug in the system or something like that. And it's like, no, he actually is that fast. Um, you just don't, he hasn't had really the opportunity necessarily to show it. And when, when he plays central midfield, you know, you have less opportunity because you got control tempo and you're not really looking at that. But what was really exciting to watch him do is really kind of press that back line. Um, so first off, uh, kudos, kudos to him and kudos to the club for just understanding that they had something with him that he needed the time to develop. Um, it was one of those weird contracts, Colin, maybe you can speak to this type of contract a bit, but these draft contracts where you get like a year and then there's an option and then another option and then another option. It's like a one plus one plus one plus one. And like they kept extending him and then they ran out of options. And then like on that very last option, I felt like he finally kind of showed everyone like what he was capable of and then won himself the ability to get a two year deal, you know, with another option, which is basically, you know, uh, to say you have made it as an MLS player, you know, a club is looking to extend you and give you a second contract. That's an important deal. I want to see more of this from within the club. I want to see more of these draft picks pan out. It's been a while since Jackson Ewell, right? And now Jack Skane's coming out. We've talked about a Daniel Muni. Beeson's had some opportunities and has, you know, at times met the challenge and at times fallen short of the challenge. You know, I want to see more player development. And now that Cade's moved on, like the eyes are going to start to go to some of these other players, these draft picks that are on the books, players like Nico Shakiris, the opportunity he's going to get, maybe some of these homegrown sitting in quakes too. And I'm really excited to see who are we talking about in an excited way next year that we would not have known about, you know, this past year, right? And this is what's going to be always to me interesting is to see who emerges from here. And I think on Lucci as well, he's known for player development, you know, I want to see some more of that player development this season. And and I want to add on a layer here, uh, Colin, because I know that you have a few things to say about this signing and bringing Skane back to the club and, and what he brings as a, you know, as a type and, and his role. But also as the Quakes are starting to develop more homegrown players, if you go and look at the roster, it's chock full of guys who have or signed two homegrown contracts. Here's the layer. Why is the MLS Superdraft still important? And what does it mean for clubs to continue, clubs like the San Jose Earthquakes, to continue to utilize that system and, and having those players on the roster? Yeah, I, I mean, Jack Scan. So first of all, you know, Jack Scan's such an interesting story. He, he was a second round draft. So, you know, this is in, in the modern era of the MLS draft. You know, there's definitely some gems, and I'll talk about their value in a second. Those are mostly guys picked in the top 15 picks. There's not a lot of guys who are picked even in the back half of the first round, let alone the second or later rounds. There are a few. You know, Jack Elliott at, uh, in the Philadelphia Union was a fourth rounder, famously. Um, you know, Matt Turner wasn't drafted at all. But Jack's game was a second-round draft pick. That's a deep draft pick in the MLX context. And the Quakes waited and waited and waited for the kind of the development to click into place. He's not a young kid anymore, exactly. He's 26. Uh, you know, so in broader soccer you know, across the entire world, that would be considered way too late to develop. But actually one of the beautiful things about the American system and the college system 
is that it kind of provides a little bit more space for later blooming players. Uh, and obviously, Chris Wondolowski is probably the you know the best example of this. Um, but I think Jack Stane is a great example of a guy who was not super well regarded uh, before. Um, so and and they kind of built him into a, into a good way. Um, the beep test, by the way, I think that's definitely Alex. I don't know, it's, definitely, it's not, <laughs> not, even, not even close. Um, Bill, do you think you could take Alex? Honestly, um, I don't know. Alex yeah, is a lot I, younger than me, uh, so I think he could take me. I, maybe my I might have the speed. But, um, I don't know about the endurance. I think I'm second in the group for sure. I think it'd be between me and Colin second. Well, by the way, Wando, Wando wins the beep test of all time, one of the greatest endurance athletes to ever play. He was recruited to be a runner much more heavily than he was to be recruited as a soccer player. We ended up at Chico State. Phil just posted in the chat that Chris Wanowski is drafted in the fourth round. I'm about to do the annoying thing where I correct you, but actually in a way that makes your point even stronger. He was drafted in the fourth round of the supplemental draft. Supplemental uh, draft. Is, yeah, right, I didn't put that part eighth, of it. <laughs> eighth round overall from that year's yeah. amateur uh, you know, pickups. Um, yeah, I, I will lightly push back, and, and Crystal actually just noted this uh, as well. I will lightly push back on the idea that Quakes haven't drafted that well since uh, Jackson Ewell. I think they've drafted exceptionally well since Jackson Ewell. Uh, we just kind of maybe have the wrong expectations for, for what we're getting in those kind of mid-teens picks. You know, I think that Tanner Beeson, for a mid-teens pick, has been a, an incredibly valuable piece for the club. A guy who's a reliable rotation piece, that's actually a really good thing to pick up from that kind of slot. Paul Marie has developed into a really good player and from a, you know, a mid-teen slot. Daniel Muni is a guy who the Quakes had as number two on their board overall, and they got to pick him in the double digits. You know, this is, so I think that they, they feel happy about a lot of the picks they've made. Not all of them have panned out. The only high pick they've had since uh, Jackson Ewell was Siad Haji, who obviously didn't work out, but I think was a perfectly justifiable decision. I think that they're actually good amateur scouts. And I think that they're particularly good at hitting in those later round picks. Because not only do you have Jack Scan, who's turned into an MLS player, they also picked Danny Masovsky in the second round as well. So I think the Quakes are doing a really good job of scoping the amateur uh, market. But to get back to your kind of like main question, Phil, of like why is this so important? Um, these players, first of all, they start off on the supplemental and reserve rosters, which means they don't hit the salary cap. They come in at very low cost. And typically they come on very team-friendly contracts, just like the one that Jamin mentioned, where it's usually a rolling set of options, which means the team can get, you know, can uh, dismiss the player if they're not performing, but can kind of keep them around if they are. So it's a, it's a very team-friendly mechanism to get these players. But more importantly, there are genuine gems in the Super Draft still. You know, Tejon Buchanan is now playing it, it inner Milan because, and he was an eight, you know, number eight overall pick in the MLS draft a couple of years back. And by the way, the Quakes could have had him. That's when they picked Siad Haji. Um, but more importantly, so like, you know, there's, there's those things. Kyle Laren came in and was sold for a large amount of money. Uh, you know, having come in through the MLS super draft, like there are still Darryl DK. In draft. Darryl so, DK, DK. You know, playing in championship right now and just scored for West Brom the other day. Yeah. So, so there are gems in this draft, but even if you're not getting the gems, there's a bunch of guys who are the important depth pieces on your roster. Like every club wants a Tanner Beeson. You know, that's a guy who's useful to any club in MLS. Uh, and you get him at a relatively low fee and you get control over his contract for a long time. You know, that's useful. And I think they've done a good job of finding those kind of uh, squad pieces deeper into that first round. So I, I think the Super Draft still matters. I think the Quakes organization prioritizes their amateur scouting. And I would say they particularly prioritize their regional amateur scouting, which is reflected in the fact that all three of their draft picks this year uh, played uh, their college soccer on the West Coast. 
Duncan okay, McGuire great. as well Let's... in Orlando. Yeah. We have time here to discuss some of the other guys who are being brought into uh, to the club, the, at least the ones that have well, been actually, announced officially. Well, can we it. do the draft first, uh, you know, in, in order there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we so can do it Jamar, like that. Yeah, yeah, Jamar so Ricketts, they, right? Which, if I could just give a quick plug, uh, make sure you check out the content that was put out by Jamin Moore. Uh, he interviewed uh, Jamar, and so that is available on the Quakes at the Center uh, YouTube channel. So make sure you check that out. Yeah. Great kid. Uh, you know, first off, super enjoyable conversation. So much energy. He showed that kind of energy in his conversation with Ted the other day as well. I'm really excited about him. Uh, you know, whether he is going to be a, a left back or a left wing, um, you know, <clears throat> I I liked, I think, Colin, you said the same thing. I feel like I liked his tape better than any signing that this club has ever had come through the draft. It was just so much fun. Every time he touched the ball, he was looking to make something happen. He was looking to turn and burn. And the way that he described it in my conversation with him was he was taught that you're going to be faster than whoever is coming at you to defend you. So make a move and then beat him. And like he was taught that. So it's it's in him to be able to just kind of press the issue and kind of press the back line. If you can imagine a little bit here, this is a little bit like taking an Aseni Buddha and his skill set, and then taking a Jack Skane and his skill set with speed to be able to push the back line and kind of bringing them together in a, in a player. It, it he, he smacks up having a bit of both of those types of skill sets. And that's what's really interesting is because I think he might become a player that is not going to just be a single position player but will be able to be utilized in a number of different ways. He actually ended the season for his college team the last six games as a striker. Having played left wing, a left um, uh, attacking midfielder, he had played all these other positions, and then six games left in the season, I think like their striker got hurt, and they're like, yeah, we need you to play striker. And then he went on to score like two more goals. So, you know, that's, uh, that's pretty impressive. And uh, I feel like, you know, he, he might become like a bit of a Swiss Army knife, you know, attacker slash outside uh, back, uh, you know, uh, for the team. So it could be very interesting to see how he goes in preseason. It's going to be really exciting to go down and be able to check that out at Coachella and just see what his progression looks like. Yeah. And, by and the of course, way, it's not guaranteed that he's signed. So he's going to have to earn that just like Daniel Muni did last year. So. Yeah, very few super draft picks, by the way, have guaranteed contracts walking into the super draft. Uh, some of them do, but very few do, and he does not. So they, he will have to earn a contract. But to echo what Javen said, this is something we were saying in the in the pre-meeting lobby uh, before the show was like, this is the most fun tape that I've seen of an MLS or of a San Jose Earthquakes draft pick, with the possible exception of Saeed Haji. Um, which I know that that maybe is like a bad association, but it's, he's a very different player and a different profile. And I think that he projects differently, but he's super athletic in all sorts of different ways. You know, he's, he's fast, he's agile, you know, he seems like he has good balance. He's actually really strong. I don't think he's the biggest guy in the world. He's probably like five ten or so. Um, and, he, and he's not necessarily, you know, massive in the way he's not Adama Traore, but he's a very strong guy, very aggressive. And he plays with a real attitude that Jamin kind of alluded to. Like, he really does – he looks like a kind of guy who thinks he's better than anyone who's guarding him. Uh, and that's something that's actually – you know, you kind of need a lot of that alpha mentality. Uh, and he's left-footed. So the interesting thing, of course, is uh, the club sees him and everyone who was covering the draft sees him as a future left-back. But he didn't play at all at left-back in college. 
they all have faith that he can do it. Perhaps it's the soccer IQ that Jamin was talking about and that versatility. Uh, it's perhaps it's just the profile of if you have a super athletic left footer uh, who's maybe a little bit raw and you want to develop him, left back is usually a better landing place at a higher division you know, than a left wing. Uh, but uh, honestly, there's a lot of offensive skills. He like He's, he's really good at those late arriving runs in the box. Uh, he would get stuck in with headers and, you know, and just body people out of the way. So maybe that physicality and that aggression and athleticism will project really well to the left back. I, I would say that is the upside that I'm most excited about of a, of a draft prospect that I've seen for the Quakes in a long time. I will say, though, when you watch the highlights that he posts, you get the reaction that I just gave you. If you watch Y Scout, which is every single action that he does in a game, there's a little bit more floating in and out of influence and a little bit, you know, there's some guys who look better when you only look at the very best moments than when you look at, you know, the 50th percentile moments. So there's probably uh, a lot of work for him to do to graduate from, you know, CSU Northridge to uh, MLS. But, you know, eventually you're going to get there. So, so here's a, a question for you. Having, having, you know, watched his tape, Colin and Jamin, the, the Quakes are in an interesting situation with their fullbacks now. Uh, you know, they have Carlos Acapo, they have Paul Marie, who both put in excellent shifts last season, but also traded significant playing time with Miguel Trauco, who's no longer on the roster. Do you think the Quakes need to go in and sign another player who's a known quantity, who's at Miguel Trauco's level? Or do you think it's a risk they can take to, to leave that spot to Ricketts? Uh, I think... I, I think that Ricketts should be viewed as a more long-term project because he's never played the position before. And aside from the general jump up from NCAA to MLS. Uh, so I would not want to count on him this year. Obviously he could come into preseason camp and be so amazing that he, you know, wins uh, time right away. But I personally would not, I would view him as a, as a long-term project rather than a solution for this year. And so I, I, I would imagine that they're actually probably still talking to Miguel Traco to see if he's willing to come back on a smaller salary uh, to play kind of a, a rotational role. Yeah, Crystal's saying what I would like to see. I would really like to see Oscar Verhoeven and what he does in preseason and if he may be able to step up and be like a backup to Paul Marie as, a, as the option based upon the current roster. That yeah. said, I do think that along with the positions we frequently talked about, left wing, you know, that attacking midfielder position and center back, left back is still a position that I think the team does want to fill this offseason and uh, have other options there, a more natural left footer there, you know, you know, over Marie. And keep in mind that if they're um, national team players, they're going to spend time away. Someone brought up Carlos Acapo in the chat. Like, you know, Paul Marie is going to get plenty of opportunities just like he did last season and just as like the third rotation. Could he be the starter and be and the Quakes be fine until the secondary window? Absolutely. Right. And it might even give give Oscar that chance to be able to be that backup on the left side. But you would feel a little bit thin coming into the season compared to where you were last year. And Traco did sign elsewhere, so I don't think he's available now. I did think did that go official? I heard. I know he was talking to him. I didn't hear that. I it was thought it was official, but maybe it's in then Kate Cowell, like going to become official type Fair thing, enough. something like that. So, yeah, guys, I wanted to talk about some of the other players too. Um, you know, Preston Judd comes to mind, and I I, I wanted to uh, kind of bring him up as a player that sort of connects back to what Colin you were talking about with draft picks. You know, kind of making a difference. You know, he was a second round draft pick a couple years ago. You know, after playing a little bit uh, in the uh, in the second division um, after coming out of college, you know, kind of an unheralded player, 
and uh, he's a big guy, you know, uh, you know, six foot three, I think listed, uh, you know, we saw him play against the quakes uh, with the galaxy um, and not, not a guy who's going to necessarily st necessarily step into the Quakes starting lineup, albeit, you know, some of the LA call called on a few, a few times, but certainly the kind of player that can make an impact in the game in a way that the, the earthquakes haven't had it at the, at the center forward position, a big body, you know, someone on a set piece that can be more dangerous than just sending your center backs up. I think he's been a really good pick. And I know there's a few other uh, uh, picks uh, or new, new signings rather that we need to talk about, you know, uh, you know, I, I would what I'd love to know what some of the, some of you some of you also feel about Judd in terms of the impact he might have. Is he strictly just going to be a rotational player, or does he have the, that potential to maybe do more? I, I'm a huge fan, but I think that huge fan still translates to rotational player because I think mm -hmm. Jeremy Abobasi has a more complete, more developed game. Uh, but I'm excited for the exact reasons that you are. Like he's a big body, and he was actually very productive at LA Galaxy. Jamin, I don't know if you can screen share his, you know, FB ref profile, but it really jumps off the page and it reflects, uh, obviously at a different level, what we were seeing at MLS next, like his, his second division, you know, uh, stats were also extremely productive. And it's pretty rare that you have a guy with that size and that uh, those measurable athletic attributes who is that productive at that level and translates to MLS. I, so I, I'm, I'm cautiously very excited about, about what he could bring, but even cautiously excited is still, you know, a, an option for Jeremy Bobasi that's just much closer to the way that Bobasi plays. And, and, and we know that Jeremy Bobasi needs a, a, you know, a second hand there to, to help him out. You know, we've seen him kind of get tired in the end of the summer, having to go 90 minutes, uh, you know, for every game is, is not tenable for him. So, to have a guy who can come in and make an impact in the second half as a super sub and can create danger and offer something different is important. The Quakes were hoping that was Iowa Canola, I think, last season. Uh, but, you know, given he was never able to make a breakthrough, this seems like, a you know, a perfectly reasonable, uh, you know, uh, transfer signing to make. And if anybody yeah. can't see on their little YouTube what this is, all those green bars are good. They basically green, green, green good, red, red is bad, or the things that extend all the way over here are good, the things that are shorter. Yeah. And, would, and would be bad if those were categories that matter. These are defensive categories, which we don't care yeah, about much over first right. Yeah, the greens are all the goal scoring and assisting categories. Uh, the passing categories aren't good, but then the progressive carries and the dribbles as well are actually quite good as well. So the, the things you'd want from a true number nine, he's very strong in and is limited MLS minutes. So my, my question is, cool. um, again, guys, it's uh, fbref.com for folks who are trying to follow at home. fbref.com. Yeah, fbref.com if you want to look it up for yourself. Yeah, the quick thing I wanted to add about Preston Judd is, you know, as the guy who was kind of involved on, uh, along with Colin, or sorry, uh, uh, Carlin uh, Carpenter on the Where Goals Come From series from ASA, what I really like about Preston is that he can score all the goals, which is, which is actually kind of a unique attribute among strikers. Most strikers particularly in MLS, are kind of limited in the range of the types of goals that they can score. Either they're really good on set pieces, uh, they could be good on headers, uh, they could be good on cutbacks or through balls or, you know, one-on-ones or whatever the case is. What What's really interesting about Judd's profile is you saw all the types of goals being scored, the set pieces, but the runs in behind, you know, and, and, and being able to get 1v1. He's got a bit of pace too. Um, and so that's exciting to see. I like what I like is that he's gotten used to the idea already in MLS of like coming on in the 70th minute and being the guy that comes on at the end of games. 
And we didn't have that player for Jeremy Abovesi last season, to be honest, right? And so how much more productive might Jeremy Abovesi be by getting 70 minutes and then some rest or even a rotational start in for Judd? You know, could we see a much more effective Jeremy Abovesi this season? Now, granted, some of that was due to who didn't get as much service as the year before. But at the same time, like having a fresh Jeremy Bobasi at the end of the year, because he, he did kind of fall off, um, I think is really important. And Preston Judd, I'm optimistic, can be a player that can provide that. Great. Let's talk about another position here as we kind of wind up the show. Um, we do have a couple more signings we want to talk about. Our potential one is an actual signing, one is a potential signing. Um, the first one is Alfredo Morales. This is a, a German born American player. Some of you may remember him from his time with the US men's national team. He's kind of one of those like Jurgen Klensmann guys that kind of was hoping uh, could make a big splash with the men's national team, kind of going under the radar for the German national team, right? That obviously picks up much bigger players, typically from the Bundesliga and the other big leagues throughout Europe. So uh, Alfredo Morales uh, comes in, he sort of replaces, I don't, I don't know if you would say he was a one for one guys. I don't know if you've watched the tape or you've seen him play before, but for Judson, who is no longer with the team, uh, but it's kind of looking like this is a one for one swap here. They're actually pretty close in age, uh, but Alfredo Morales more recently having success in MLS. Um, Alex, uh, we haven't heard from you in a bit. Why don't, why don't you give your take as to what Alfredo Morales is going to provide for this team and kind of what you know about him? He's going to provide cover and depth in the midfield. And I really like the way this midfield is shaping up right now. There's the big hole in the number 10 position. Obviously, they need a DP number 10. But if you look at every other player on that list, I think it's a very well-balanced uh, and, and, and highly functional midfield that can do what Lucha Gonzalez is going to want it to do. You have Carlos Grezzo, who, you know, I don't know if he's worth it as a club record signing, but can do the job, has played well with Jackson Ewell in the midfield and will be a solid player this season who you can consistently rely on. You have Jackson Ewell, club captain. We know what he can do. You have Nico Shakiris, who's, you know, I still think poised for a, another solid season this year and, and hopefully can show even more than he did last year. You have Jack Skane, another young, hungry player who was one of their best players in the squad in the second half of last season, you have Alfredo Morales providing cover and you have the number 10. I, I think this is a super strong midfield. I think it's going to be resistant to, you know, uh, some of the other ailments uh, that the midfield has come across with international absences and, in, and you know injuries over the last few seasons. Uh, and, and Alfredo Morales is, a, I, I think, an important part of that. If you're letting go Judson and letting go Jamiro Montero, uh, I, I think he's kind of a, a perfect signing to complement the number 10. He can, you know, do a job more defensively. He's a veteran. We know he can, you know, play at a high level. Uncertain how, you know, long, how many minutes he can play. I think that's the main concern that I've heard is that, you know, at 33 years old, he's not going to be a guy who can start week in, week out. Uh, but, you know, given he's been proven at a high level in Germany with New York, uh, I think this is a, a, a shrewd signing from Leach. And, and again, one of kind of least bread and butter signings, getting a kind of good undervalued uh, kind of interleague player who can, uh, who can, you know, do a job for the Quakes. If I can give a quick perspective in my conversations with a couple of people from New York City that, that I trust with these types of things, you know, they're sad to lose them. Let, let's put it that way. Um, one of the things that they said is, you know, with his age, he's starting to get a bit more injury prone. 
and said, but whenever he's available and on the field, the minutes you're going to get are high quality minutes. And I think there's something to be said for that because, you know, when you're asked to kind of be the number two behind a player like Garezzo and the minutes you're going to see are going to come in a more limited fashion, the important thing uh, for this to be a good deal for the Quakes is the most important ability is availability. And if the if Alfredo Morales is available, that'll be the most important thing because if he's available, he's going to be pretty good quality compared to your regular starter in Garezzo. And I think that's something that we haven't really been able to say as much at the six. I mean, we all like Judson a lot, but we definitely saw him fall off the last couple of years. There was always a bit of an iffiness as to like, oh, you know, who's going to be in the six when Garezzo isn't there, or, you know, and then they, you know, kind of had to play around with Jackson Newell and they had to play around, you know, with players who came in for just a season or whatever the case was. Or, you know, uh, in St. Louis, they tried out Baldissimo and he's not really a six either. And he's, you know, pretty small and got bossed around by um, by that kind of uh, large front line from St. Louis. So for me, having a player like Alfredo Morales, so long as he's healthy, this could be really, really good, good bit of business from from Leach. Yeah, if I can chime in on, on all this, Alfred Morales, uh, I, you know, I understand why people are comparing him to Judson because he's filling the same slot in the roster as the backup to Carlos Proezo, but he's a, he's a quite different player. Um, mm-hmm. He's, I think that he's much more technically sophisticated than Judson is. And I think that his defensive presence has much more to do with positioning and reading of the game than it does with pure athleticism. I mean, the thing that Judson had for 2019 that was so valuable is in a man-marking system, he could cover sideline to sideline, and that was very valuable. But that means that when you lose a step, you kind of lose most of your game. Uh, Whereas with Alfredo Morales, I think he's much more positional in the way he plays, and I think that's going to translate better as he gets into his mid-30s than what Judson was doing, who actually Judson's a couple years younger. Uh, But, you know, basically the nature of his game, I believe, will age a bit better. The risks are injuries and that, you know, when you're getting a 33-year-old, you're getting a guy who's at the very end of his uh, career and the the end might be coming. But in terms of his profile, he is a, you know, a perfect backup for Carlos Correzo. I think he's actually very stylistically similar. I think it would be totally seamless. I think he plays the game in a very similar way. He's a very uh, high-volume conservative passer uh, and he's, you know, defensively very solid and positionally solid. Um, and I think that's exactly what you want from your backup as a guy who can kind of replicate 80% of what the starter gives you in a position. Yeah. For anyone, uh, Chivas fans who are joining us tonight, first off, thank you. Uh, thanks for taking the time to join our show. Um, just to let you know, we spent about the first 35 minutes of the show talking about Kate Cowell. The show will immediately be available to you, uh, you know, once, uh, once it concludes tonight. So be sure to go back and uh, catch the first 35 minutes if you're here just for the Kate Cowell conversation but we did give it uh, a good bit of do time we, do we want to give a maybe a brief 30 second pitch to to Shiva's fans for for why Cade Cowell could could benefit them because I don't think we talked about that but but maybe the the 30 second spiel is that he you know burst onto the scene uh okay. in 2021 oh, I believe it was he has lots of pace lots of power uh he showed surprisingly good passing in that time uh when he was in behind on the breakaway uh, but over the last season and a half, maybe stagnated under the playing style of, of San Jose's, you know, recent coach, Luigi Gonzalez. And, and before that seemed like he was kind of uh, getting figured out and, and marked out of the game uh, by some of his MLS opponents. So being on a new team with a different strategy, 
hopefully he will be able to unlock some of that potential that he showed in 2021. And he has put in much better performances with the U.S. men's national team and with the U.S. you know youth national teams that that kind of give us the hope that he will be able to take that step to see this. Oh. So that's the that's the thirty second pitch. We're trying to get to one thousand subscribers. So so I figured we needed to add that that pitch to get <laughs> right. get us the last uh, what five or six left. Is that all we need? Well, just to add one more thing. So Chivas fans will appreciate this. So of course, Matias Almeida. Uh, he had his most success under Matias Almeida and Chivas was competing against Matias Almeida in AEK Athens because even Matias now wanted to get Cade to AEK. So the fact that Matias liked him so much that he wanted to bring him forward and he had his best performances for the earthquakes with Matias, hopefully is, uh, you know, some encouragement to Chivas fans that he can kind of really kind of uh, take advantage of that kind of situation in the Mexican league as well. Just needs to finish. Just needs to put the ball in the back of the net and maybe take some shots mm -hmm. sooner there without dribbling into players. Thank yeah, you. But one so, thing that I, I think Chivas fans can really look Brian. forward to is, you know, you mentioned kind of the physicality, Alex. That's one thing that he's going to bring to the league that is going to put him head and shoulders above a lot of the other players who are there. So anybody who watches League MX knows that, yes, it is a physical league, but Cade's going to come in. He's already going to be towering over a lot of these other guys who are playing in League MX. And he's going to be challenging for a lot of balls and creating chances. And yes, it's a matter of whether or not he's going to be able to put the ball in the back of the net. Um, if you go and look at his um, some of his stats, I would suggest you go look over stats over the last few years since 2019, since he started playing with the Quakes. It'll kind of give you an insight as to um, what he can do potentially, but also some of the struggles that he's had in front of goal. So the last person that we wanted to talk about is actually, Colin, you were kind of going on a bit about Alfredo Morales and his possible role as a backup player. Uh, another possible backup player to come into the team would be William Yarbrough. Some of you may be familiar uh, with him. Similar to Alfredo Morales, he has spent um, some time in MLS. So this is somebody who is going to be used to the travel, used to the way things work in the league, used to the plastic pitches at times. Um, and some of the the short turnaround on you know the the three games in eight days types of situations that you will get in MLS traveling across the United States. So William Yarborough most recently played with the Colorado Rapids, um, possibly comes in to be a backup for Danielle, gives some competition to JT Marcinkowski, and also has lots of experience. Uh, U.S. national team player who spent a lot of time playing in Mexico as well uh, with Leon. So um, let's kind of round this out by talking a little bit about William Yarborough here. And then we'll head over to our last thoughts. So, um, Jamin, I'm going to kick it back over to you first here. Kind of your thoughts about the goalkeeper position, why it's important that we can get a player like uh, Yarborough uh, as a possibility. And then maybe, Colin, you can kind of round it out unless the other guys have other uh, thoughts you kind of want to kick in. I think, Colin, you can kind of hit on some of the um, maybe the salary impact or the possibility of yeah. getting a, a William Yarborough. Before, yeah, before he came to M MLS, so Yarborough is a, a player that did come through Liga Mekis as well. So she was player, uh, she was fans that are joining us might be familiar with him. So the quick, uh, the quick uh, thing on Yarborough here in the situation is the Quakes acquired the rights to Yarborough, which means, Colin, correct me if I'm wrong here, which basically means that, uh, you know, now they got to go through the process of kind of negotiating the actual deal and things like that. JT Marcinkowski's injury feels uh, felt at the time serious. You know, the surgery that he went through was pretty serious. And it does start to feel like, He's not going to be available for at least the majority, if not the entire season. So for me, this is an opportunity for JT to focus on getting healthy, not worrying about getting back on the field because uh, Yarborough comes in as basically a, a veteran at this point um, and brings average goalkeeper 
uh, you know, ability from his time at Colorado. Now it is Colorado and those were not the Colorado's good years. Right. So, you know, that, that there's something to be said for that, but. Well, um, average starter, by the way, you should specify average. Starter. Very good. Average starter. So that what that means is that, you know, and, and which is similar to what JT was. And so, you know, in terms of results, his results at least are similar to, to JT's, but I'll open it up for, brothers to kind of jump in in terms of their thoughts on him as well. If anyone has any. <laughs> no, I, I, look, I think, go ahead. Al. Well, I, I was just going to say, I think we're all still kind of, you know, bummed about the JT Marcinkowski situation. We want to start there because uh, the way that he got injured uh, last season at the end of last season was brutal. Uh, you know, he is, a, a, you know, uh, I don't know if he's technically a homegrown, but he feels like a homegrown player having come from right across the uh, the Bay. And, uh, uh, you know, he put in a, a, a super solid shift in the last few seasons in goal uh, and had a super good competition with uh, Danielle and goal at the beginning of the season. And it's only because Danielle is one of the best keepers in major league soccer that he lost that spot. Uh, and it's a bummer that he's, he's injured now because I, you know, I think that, that, as, as much as Quakes fans love having him in San Jose, there's also the, the hope maybe that he'd be able to find a starting spot at another club. And, and that will be delayed now because of this injury. And it makes sense for the Quakes to, to go out and find a, a backup goalkeeper who will be able to uh, put in solid minutes. I think there's still a kind of reservation about trusting Emi Ochoa with such a, a big role like that because he's still so young. Uh, and, you know, William Yarbo is a guy who, you know, he has experience at the top level, so if you need to call upon him, you know he can do the job. Yeah, I think that pretty well sums it up, Alex. Uh, if there are no more thoughts, I think we can head to uh, any any other general final thoughts before we close out, if you guys have any. It's a consequential day for Quake Soccer. Um, no, yeah, that's it. it uh, it's a it's a it's a club record transaction. It's a it's a proof of concept. Uh, and and Robert's right. You know, we, it, I hope certainly that we're looking back on this as a kind of a an important kind of landmark moment in the history of the franchise. But what that will mean is that this is something that happens more regularly um, rather than less regularly. So I, I think I, I hope to say that this is this will be the first of, of many uh, over the years. But yes, it, it's a momentous day. I'm happy for the kid. Happy with the Chivas fans. I hope he thrives there. Uh, the Quakes have a monetary incentive to hope that he thrives there, by the way, because if he's super successful and gets sold on to Europe, then, you know, we benefit from that as well. Um, and it's a, it's a Kickstarter for, for this kind of next chapter of the Quakes. Uh, and it'll be a proof of concept of the Leech plus Lucci era. And, and kind of also potentially a, a transition with, you know, that extra money to play with the GAM and the, and the, the the transfer money as well, you know, to watch to see what Chris Leach and what the organization does with that transfer money. So, you know, you have, uh, you know, uh, a, a very different dynamic at play instead of the Quakes sort of, you know, kind of struggling to put their roster together. They've got the extra gam infusion to really help out. And uh, that, that I think is going to be worth uh, kind of following as well. What, what is the approach uh, with the sale uh, as, as the next domino again to fall in this process? And, and I think this move, you know, if I have to kind of reflect at 35,000 feet here, is a, a really cool reminder that beneath every big money move and, you know, every European or, or Liga MX East or international soccer star, there is a community of people uh, who have supported them 
and you know they were all just you know kids in series at some point who who went from series to ballistic united to the quakes academy who had a series of youth coaches who helped them along the way who got to you know make their debut for the first time earn their spot had a variety of struggles and triumphs in that development until they eventually you know make it to the big stage and uh, i i think it's it's kind of cool now it feels uh one of the first times that you know, as a, a you know person in the San Jose Earthquakes community, I've really felt connected to that. And I can, you know, point to, to you know, a, a top player, one of the biggest clubs and a, a huge money transfer and go, I, I understand how this happens now. And it feels like it's, you know, our community here is a little more connected to the kind of global international soccer transfer market and scene. And so so that's a cool moment, I think, for, for the, the community and the club generally. Yeah. And, and by the way, I, I, my personal opinion is, you know, the future remains very bright, that there are players in this system who we could see move on to Europe or make, you know, moves into, into bigger clubs, uh, you know, potentially in Mexico as well. I mean, Ochoa, if he fully develops, is going to be very desired in, in Mexico, right? We can say the same thing for Cade's brother, Chance Cowell, uh, who's going to become an official homegrown, I believe became official as of January 1st in terms of a, of a homegrown for the club. Oscar Verhoeven, we've already talked about him, his opportunity at left back, uh, Edwin Mendoza, Casey Walls is still, you know, uh, getting time in the second team and, and developing out. And I got a chance to see the U15s. Uh, let me tell you, those guys are potentially better than any uh, Quakes Academy team before them. Uh, that's going to be a very good team. I don't know the names yet, but I'm expecting some good stuff out of, out of that particular Academy team. So the Quakes Academy is hitting on all cylinders. Alex Cabello, back involved with the academy, by the way, I think doing a great job. He's also spending some time supporting uh, the, uh, the the U.S. national team now. And, uh, you know, it's going to be an exciting uh, few years to see how these kids develop. I agree. Nico, you're up next. Uh, you know, really excited to see kind of, you know, what progressions Nico takes this year. But we all have to keep in mind, these are still kids. They're still very young. Uh, I would put more pressure on the draft picks in terms of, you know, coming in and trying to have a, an impact because those players coming in, they're 21, 22, 23 years old already. Most of these kids we're talking about, they're 16, 17, 18, 19, like these are young kids, right? So, you know, have the patience, you know, we weren't very patient with Kate at times, but have the patience and these kids to develop. Uh, I believe it's gonna pay off in the long run for this club. And some of the short- right, well, Before I direct, one last, go ahead, I was gonna say one last teaser for me, this would be my final thought is, you know, we, we've been that last round. We were all talking about that kind of the long range future of the club. Uh, the four million dollars that we just received for Cape Cowell—that's that's something that's going to pay off in the next couple of weeks and months because the club is really looking to make you know one more you know big acquisition and attack. I, I don't know precisely whether it'll be you know a, a creator from the left wing or somebody who more naturally plays through the middle, whatever it may be. You know, this transaction is what enables transactions like that to happen. So actually, the first domino to fall will not be the long range buying, you know, growing and selling model. The the first domino to fall will be a big acquisition in the next couple of months. So hopefully that's what I'm excited for. And hopefully the next time we see you, the next time we get all five of us together, it's because there's a big signing to celebrate, to fill the the hole that Cade left as the left wing starter. I think there needs to be a so big before, Cade Cowell uh, uh, bobblehead on the, the Quakes uh, a new awake hit. I think that's how they got to commemorate this. They got to put like a little Cade Cowell patch on the sleeve or something. Yeah, that's what they're going to spend all that extra money on, Alex, is, is a Cade Cowell patch. <laughs> on the, on the exactly. Yeah. Hey, uh, my, before my, we get my out guy of here, have, before I, I have no, over to... 
I just want to say I have no Awake Kit rumors. Has anyone heard anything on the Awake Kit? If it's good or not? Anyone seen it? No, it's nothing. We're not usually the kind of people, Mike, to go digging into a kit rumor type stuff. So, uh, you know, you might need a different source on that. I'm not sure. <laughs> yep. Check Reddit. But, um, but, but the Slack, here, sometimes, sometimes the Slack will have that information. The social media. Yeah, the Slack. So I was going to mention that. Um, but first of all, before we talk about the Slack, I want to direct folks to the Patreon. Um, I want to thank everybody who has been continually contributing to our Patreon. Uh, through Patreon, we are able to bring you this content regularly. Uh, for just you know a, a couple dollars a month, you can get early access to some of our content. For $5 a month, you can get access to the Slack channel that Jamin just referenced a moment ago. And, and before I direct folks over to the social media, Jamin, if you could just quickly explain why it's important that people continue to contribute to the Patreon, even in the off season, and what kinds of things that uh, folks can expect uh, in the remainder of the off season, and then kind of going into the preseason before the, the Quakes start. Well, so first off, this is going to be our 10th year of Quakes Epicenter. So, you know, none of us have been there for all the years, but Colin, you've been there for the most. Um, but uh, kudos to Anae Patel, who has kept this going, and all of us feel privileged to work with Anae. We consider him not, you know, not just someone we work with here, but also a friend. Uh, and Anae, you know, has uh, has put a lot into this, um, you know, over the years and, and financially out of pocket over the years to be able to keep this going. Joel Soria began the Patreon. By the way, kudos to Joel uh, and uh, his new position over at uh, the Glens. Very excited for him. And uh, good to see him back involved with Bay Area soccer again. Um, but uh, Joel Soria began began the Patreon, and we decided that we really wanted to add, you know, a lot of value. So if you uh, are part of the Patreon, one of the things that you're helping us do is be able to do away travel. But you're really covering a lot of hidden expenses, the expenses of paying for the service on which we provide the podcast every month, the expenses of of our website of different applications that we need to put on that website in order to keep it safe. Um, uh, you know, Anae would come on here and tell you all kinds of things, but we've got several different subscriptions that we need to cover. Um, but Alex and I are going to take the trip to preseason uh, and go to Coachella. Last year, we asked for help to pay for that. This year, we're going to pay for it. We're not coming to you for help. Now, if you want to help, you know, feel free to reach out because certainly our, our pockets are not limitless here. But the fact that we're able to do it ourselves shows that the Patreon is growing and that we are building up some of these reserves to be able to do that. Um, I will, I think Alex, you will as well, will we'll be at uh, the first, uh, you know, home opener and be able to do a show on the field, hopefully with, with Phil and Robert, you know, as well um, af afterwards. So we're looking forward to being at the home opener and then uh, other away travel that we do. So I'm, I'm in Seattle, I go to Portland, I go to Vancouver, um, obviously go to go to Seattle and and uh, things like that. So, you know, when we travel to these more local things, there's expenses, obviously, gas and and hotel and things like that, that that need to be covered. And then sometimes a flight here or there. And if playoffs happen, we didn't get to do it this past time because of the lack of home games and kind of it was a short in and out. But, uh, you know, we hope to be able to do uh, postseason uh, coverage in person, you know, where possible as well. So a lot of things that that we do at Quakes Epicenter and if you subscribe now, that money is coming in to help us be able to look ahead and be able to go, oh, we could do this additional thing or that additional thing. Alex, and, you're trying to say And something. now is a better time than ever to join at the $5 a month tier and get access to the Slack. Because let me tell you, whatever rumor that exists in the darkest corners of the internet and the, the strangest sides of Twitter that I've never been on before end up in the 
Quake's Epicenter patron Slack. So if you want to be able to, to stay in touch, uh, in tune with all of the earthquakes rumors flying around and all the transfer news, the best way to do that is to join the Slack. It is the best thing that has ever happened to me uh, in terms of me being able to follow the earthquakes and the worst thing that has ever happened to my work productivity. So that is a, 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 a promotion and a warning there. And we are going to Coachella and we are going to be at the game that is exactly one month from today, the 10th of February. Uh, Alex and I are going to be at that game. Alex, are you going to be able to make other games as well or just that one? Looking at other game feasibility, but I will definitely be at that one, Jamie. Yeah, so Alex and I will be at the one on the 10th. We will plan to try to do an aftershock from the bleachers using our phones as a Wi-Fi. We did it last year. It mostly worked. We'll probably try it again this year. But we've also um, been already, already speaking with uh, Jed Meddy and uh, and uh, our new PR guy, uh, Ryan, um, about uh, the opportunity to, you know, at Coachella to be able to bring great content to all of you like we did last year. So we're really looking forward to that as well. So a lot of content being planned in the preseason here. So and on May thirty, May thirty first, when the Quakes play in New York City, I'll be there. Colin will be there. But that just cost go. me two ninety on the subway, so we're it's not a big expense. <laughs> yeah. All right. But well, if you want to send Colin, out, did... if you want to send Colin the two bucks to help cover that, you know, he'll 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 uh, he'll meet with you afterwards. I thought yeah, everybody was the subway now. I thought I thought people were debating <laughs> the fares, Colin. I, I thought that no, was I'm, I'm a, the New York etiquette. <laughs> I'm I'm a rule follower. I uh, got it. Yep. Sam. Yeah. So right, folks, I want to direct you over to the social media subscribers. We need to get the yes, that too, subscribers. Jamie. A thousand. We get like the special emojis out there. Go subscribe so we can get to a thousand because that unlocks additional <laughs> cool stuff for all of you. And we'd love to kick off the season. Yeah. With that. So five away. Go subscribe. Yes. Oh, I thought you had something else. If that was the Bible. No, way. sorry. Five um, it is. It away. is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, five subscribers away. It's eleven twenty-six over in Colin's neck of the woods. So we need to close this thing out. Make sure you check out quicksepicenter.com. Find us on Twitter or uh, X, formerly known as Twitter. You can find us at Quicks Epicenter. I think you saw some of our personal accounts. Make sure to follow us on there as well. You can search us up. Um, and and we also have an Instagram. You can check us out there. But most importantly, check out quicksepicenter.com once again. Make sure you like, subscribe. Um, to our YouTube channel here. As just mentioned, we're at about 1,000 subscribers. Oh, and um, Colin's spreadsheet is updated, as I mentioned earlier in the show. Check that out. We will make sure to continue to keep that updated, and we will have more content coming to you shortly right here at Quake's Epicenter right here on the YouTube channel, so make sure you turn on those notifications. I want to thank everybody for joining us tonight. And then one last thing I did want to – I want to thank the folks over at the um, – uh, the Quakes media team too, Jamie, you kind of referenced them a little bit. I think they're a really big, important part of what we're doing here as well. Without that, that connection with them, uh, with Ryan, with Kylan, with Pedro, with everybody who's has been a part of this and helping us get access, uh, none of this would be possible. So I wanted to thank all those folks as well. So thanks everybody for joining us tonight. Have a great night and we will see you soon.